Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. And the Divisional Draft Grade Series rolls on. We are doing the Pacific Division tonight. We're recording this on the night of August 31st. I have two of my most special friends with me in this space. Two guys who I love everything they do. I love their show. Love all of the content that they put out. They do an incredible job in the space. The Draft Dack, Corey and Albert. Corey, I'll start with you. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Are you ready to talk about the Pacific Division? What happened with some of these teams? And no, no doubt we are talking about at least one or two of your some of your favorite guys in this entire draft class. Nathan, what's up, man? Uh, I appreciate you having us back on the show. I am uh, always excited to talk hoops with you. I'm very excited to talk about some of these prospects. Um, and if you've been following me, you you know who it is. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, excited to be here on this uh, fine summer evening. And Albert, I'll kick it over to you, man. How are you doing? First of all, thank you for for being able to come on the show tonight. You're always a trooper figuring out ways to work us into your busy work schedule. And I certainly appreciate it. But I know that you couldn't miss this one either because you, you have a prospect as well that we're going to be talking about that you are excited to further expound upon, at least for my audience. I know that I was on your guys' show, and we already shared some thoughts on on Summer League observations, but I know that you always want to talk about Jonathan Kaminga. No, of course. And I, I do want to say it, it's always great being on your pod, brother. Um, we appreciate the invite. Uh, also want to give you your props. Like we, Corey and I, we were talking about it. It was so cool to hear you. Uh, on the Chad Ford pod. What an honor. That must have been so cool for you, but we wanted to kind of give you your props there. And um, yeah, man, like I'm just shacked up in an office at work right now trying to, you know, make make the best of my situation. And you guys are on the East Coast, so trying to make it work. But um, yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk Kaminga, excited to talk about off night, everyone. So uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I still can't believe that that happened. So shouts out to Chad Ford, but that was that was a really cool experience. But yeah, let, let, let's get right into it. Let's start with the team who had the two highest picks that we're going to be talking about, or at least two of the highest picks. The Golden State Warriors drafted 7th and 14th, and a lot of people wondered what they were going to do heading into the draft. Were they going to take one or two guys who maybe were quote-unquote more ready to contribute now? Were they going to take two home run swings with both of those picks? Were they going to package one or two of those picks in a trade that might have been available at the time of the draft, maybe for a Bradley Beal or a Ben Simmons or a Damian Lillard. Ben Simmons we're definitely going to be talking about at some point in the segment because some some news broke today. But they stood pat, and in my opinion, they did a really interesting thing to mix and match both of their picks. Jonathan Kuminga obviously being more of a long-term play than being someone who I believe is going to contribute right away for them in a big role next year. But Moses Moody, although Moody is also raw in his own way, he has a ready-made skill that can plug right into this Golden State Warriors team and help them next year, which would be his catch-and-shoot ability from the corner. And I know we were all talking on your show, like I said, about both of these guys and the impact they had during Summer League. But Moody, man, he's just he's always ready always had always positions himself well in the corner as soon as that ball gets lasered over to the corner he's ready to catch that shit and fire it right up 
and he was knocking down quite a number of shots for the Warriors already in summer league that you know you watch it and you're like okay this is going to work in the NBA right away this is going to translate obviously some of the defensive stuff people are excited about as well I think the three and D floor is what people have always projected for for Moses Moody I acknowledged on an earlier episode of my podcast I thought that I don't know if he's going to be this amazing three-point shooter that some people have dubbed him as already coming into the league because he only shot around 35% in college. Usually you'd want that mark in college to be a little higher to kind of determine at least early success from three-point range in in the NBA. But either way, you know who he's going to be playing with if he gets playing time, if he's able to crack the rotation. He's playing with Steph, Clay coming back, other shooters like Jordan Poole, like the floor is going to be spread. Moody's going to have open shots and he already looks ready to knock them down. So we're, we're grading this draft for the Golden State Warriors. I'm going to disappoint you guys probably a little bit. I'm going to give him a B plus. And the only reason why I'm going to give him a B plus is this, this could turn into an A down the road, but this is a Golden State Warriors team that wants to contend next year, especially if Clay's healthy. I don't know how these two guys necessarily help them do that right away unless both of them take leaps that I don't immediately foresee in their rookie seasons. And I thought that if that's the position that the team's in, sure, you you can take project swings, but they already took one last year at James Wiseman, who I'm still very high on. He's just, he's a big man. He's going to take more time to develop. And I don't know if I'm going to see enough from these two guys next year to warrant a higher grade, kind of trying to balance the best of both worlds, if you will. But listen, maybe in the long term, Jonathan Kaminga was the highest upside player they had on the board at number seven. They took him. That Listen, if, if he plays well in any capacity next year, whether that's in the G League, whether that's in any NBA time he gets, and he could still be a valuable trade chip for them to pull the trigger on. I mean, you have Kaminga, Wiseman, and Moody and future draft assets ready to go to still swing a big trade. So maybe that's what ends up making this draft an A versus these guys being long-term options for Golden State. So, Corey, I'll start with you. How are you grading this draft for the Warriors? And and now that you've had a little bit of time to even reflect from your initial summer league thoughts, how are you feeling about both these guys and their fit for Golden State? Um, I mean, I, I think they're fit is is pretty seamless for for both guys whether or not they immediately contribute or not i i understand the reasoning i understand the fit for both guys playing as far as grades you know what i i kind of teetered on the b plus at at the the end of the day i gave them an a minus um because you know with kaminga he was a guy that was being talked about in the top five for the majority of the draft season and they were able to get him at seven and i think that kaminga's floor is a little bit higher than a lot of people like to make it seem sometimes basketball isn't as complicated as, you know, Twitter makes you believe sometimes talent and skill set can uh, be crafted and honed in, in good situations. And uh, for Kaminga, I think that Golden State is a, a really good spot. And, you know, uh, another reason I went with the A minus is because, like you said, that they have a really solid trade chip now. Um, in Kaminga and potentially Wiseman or, you know, whatever the case is, they got a guy who is a high upside swing. Um, Moody is 
The guy's just solid. I've always kind of felt he has a lot of uh, a lot of Otto Porter Jr. in his game, so he's going to have the opportunity to learn directly from him in Golden State. Uh, he's not sexy by any means, but he does a little bit of everything, fills it up. Uh, the reason you know I'm not giving them an A or that I was teetering on the B plus is that on my personal board they passed up a few guys that I think would have been more beneficial in the short and long term, um, just because I believe in their talents that much. But uh, I can't argue with their selections uh, by any stretch. And um, some of these projections are so close. Like, I, you know, I would have preferred uh, to take, um, you know, Trey Murphy instead of Moody at 14. You know, so like, but the projections are so close that at the end of the day, it, it could swing the other way. So uh, I'm going to go with an A minus. I, I think they had a good draft. They are set up for the now and the then. And it's going to be interesting to see how these pieces actually are contributing uh, this season and in the next, I think, two to three more so. Albert, talk to me, man. What's your grade? What are your thoughts? Give me all of your Jonathan Kuminga take because I know you have. Uh, I know you have a bunch of them to to give my audience in, in spades. What do you got? Uh, okay. Um, I think Kaminga is a good place to start, as you mentioned. Kaminga is a guy that I really didn't waver on, you know, and you guys can go into our draft deck archives and you can listen to all the pods that Corey and I did. And I never was really shaken by any of it. You know, there are all kinds of question marks and people doubting him, but I never really wavered. I, I had him solid, solidly in my top five on, on my big board and, I was pretty confident in him because like, number one, like the guy's built like a Greek God, his body's unbelievable. But beyond that, like, I I just love the fact that he wasn't shy at all in the G league. And some people can look at that as a negative, but I I didn't see it that way. I like the fact that he was confident in his jump shot. I like the fact that he was willing to put them up there. Was he making a lot of them? The easy answer to that is no, but I like guys that are willing to put themselves out there and to, you know, take a lot of shots and to be brave about it. Um, I also like the passing. And I think he was able to show that during summer league, uh, the visions there. I thought some of the playmaking was there um, that he showed off the athleticism. I think defensively he's going to grow. And so for me, like, I just feel like the the situation's a good place for him to be in. I think um, Draymond may be a big part of his development too, and kind of honing him in and, you know, showing him how to, you know, pick his spots and pick his moments. And just like what what I'm hoping he's doing with Wiseman right now. And yeah, I I think you guys make a good point about them potentially being, you know, like chips later on for a bigger trade or or whatever. But even if we don't look at a trade, like I just feel like Kaminga has so much going for him and I'm just a huge believer. Also, he's got the greatest nickname ever. Um, I don't know if your, your show is PG 13, so I'm not going to throw that out there, but he's got, he's got, literally the greatest nickname ever of all time. So that's going for him. I I think I agree with you guys on Moody. I think Moody, you know, when Corey and I went over Moody, we thought that there was a little bit more to him than just the three and D. Now, is that a guarantee that he'll blossom into that? We don't know, but I, you know, I I like some of the mid range stuff. I like some of the stuff that he was doing off the dribble, not all of it, but some of the stuff that he was trying, I think that's there. If he eventually becomes like a high end three and D guy, or as Corey has coined the three and D plus guy, then that that's a pretty good pick. And I, and I think, you know, Moody was a guy that I'm, I'm pretty sure they were looking at at seven um, if Kamingo wasn't there. And so to get him, get him at 14 
is pretty good value for them, I guess. And, you know, the one thing I do want to say, Corey, I do agree with you about the Trey Murphy thing, especially with the way that he shot the shit out of the ball uh, during summer league. Um, that was unbelievable. So that would have been a good fit as well. But overall, sorry, I didn't even give my grade. My grade's an A. And the reason why uh, my my grade is an A is because um, our, our close friend, uh, Tyler Rucker from Backcourt Violation, is currently holding a pistol to my head. And if I give anything below an A, I may not... <laughs> the uh the sunrise tomorrow so uh i'm gonna give the warriors an a but it's because of how high i am on kaminga you know for me he was fifth on my board so to get him at seven is good value for the warriors and i and i really as as you guys have mentioned like i, I think he's gonna be able to do stuff in year one and I, and i really like the fit i like the situation and i'm hoping he develops into a guy that becomes invaluable to them not in year one of course uh but over time i'm, I'm hoping he becomes that guy and he becomes kind of the next chapter of um you know this warriors uh this warriors team well let's talk about what some of that year one fit could look like and it's funny on draft night when i was doing the live stream with some guys during the draft of course i had the privilege to not only have their audio through my headphones but also have espn's draft broadcast audio through my headphones. And when the Jonathan Kuminga pick was made and Perk was giving his comp, he said Jordan Bell as a comp for Jonathan Kuminga. And of course, we're all sitting there laughing. I have no idea what's going on. The draft was already sort of going off the rails by that point. And then Perk makes that comment. And it seems like, okay, there's just no way to come back from this. This is going to be as little of a serious draft show for the remainder of it as possible. But... I may have to issue a public apology to Kendrick Perkins on this show because his whole reasoning behind giving a comparison for Kaminga to Jordan Bell maybe was what he might end up being in the short term, which is this small ball five, this jump out of the gym, powerful athlete. You can use him as a role man. Obviously, he's going to be a transition threat. And he's somebody in the right circumstances. He can kind of sort of protect the rim a little bit and he can rebound, at the very least, he can rebound on the defensive glass. So I, I, I had to sit back and I really had to digest that comp. And then you actually saw it play out to an extent in Summer League. And I'm like, okay, now I can start to see and envision what Golden State has in mind for Kaminga, at least very early on in his career, before they definitely fully push him out to the perimeter and really start building on some of those wing skills that the foundations for for them are there but they're incredibly far away from um ultimately being what they could be in the future like his jump shot is still ugly i do not trust that thing at the nba level yet god some of his summer league jumpers um for for all the highlights that jonathan kumiga had he, he played well during summer league but some of those bricks like just completely away from the rim not even close to going in i'm like oh my gosh like this is what this could look like early on in his career but if you don't ask him to take some of those jumpers or you don't put him in a role or put him in position to take those shots then you start to leverage more of his positives that are coupled with his athleticism and now you really start to see the dynamic role player that he could be even early on in his career maybe he spends a lot of time in the g league but when he's up playing with the warriors there is a way to, to funnel him 10 to 12 minutes a night to at least contribute and let him spell, whether it's Kavon Looney or Draymond Green or whoever they're playing at the five that night. So, Albert, I'll kick it back to you since you're the resident Jonathan Kaminga expert on this show right now. What what do you think about 
what what Perk said because I know you guys were at the draft. You guys were seeing everything live. I don't think you probably heard that comment right away, but just listening to that sort of explanation for it, what do you think about that comp at least early on? And do you think that, especially after seeing Summer League, do you think that's the role that they might be envisioning for him early in his career? Um, I think the the easiest way to put it is I hate it. Um, I absolutely <laughs> hate it. <laughs> All right, I guess I didn't do enough justice for Kendrick Perkins. I'm sorry. Guys. No, I, I'm I'm kidding. I, like I get I get the rationale. Um, it's just Jordan Bell is like, come on, wh- what are we talking about? Jordan Bell is, is he even on an NBA roster right now? Or is he currently looking into the big three or he was, he was fighting for his summer league life out in, yeah, out in so Vegas. Yes. I, I, I understand the rationale, but like, my thing is, I don't see Kaminga in those terms. I, I think I'm really trying to be, I'm trying to look big picture. And I really do think that there are enough wing skills for Kaminga to develop into a rock solid wing. Um, does that mean that I'm discrediting what you're saying? No, absolutely not. I, I can totally understand what you're saying early on because of his dude. The the dude's a mountain. Like he's so damn strong. He is, and he's got boulders for shoulders, and he's just an he's a, he, he's a man amongst boys at times. So I can totally understand how they could utilize him in a different various different roles. Like it's possible. It's just for me. Like the reason why I gave the grade that I did was because I'm I'm looking more long term, and I think there's more than enough there for him to develop into a real wing rather than like a small ball four or a small ball five but at the same time like if that's what he becomes is that bad i don't think so it's just the way that i have evaluated him is i just see a lot more so i i don't discredit what you're saying i just, I just think jordan bell's kind of crazy though because jordan bell hasn't really had much of an nba career and i think um kaminga's floor is much higher than jordan bell one interesting question that i have about moses moody Corey, before we get into some of the, the the trade stuff and some of the Ben Simmons talk, because that, that all ties back to why we're giving the Warriors the grade that we did. You see it sometimes with teams in the NBA or, or players when, when they fall into a certain role, right? And, and they find areas in their game where they're very comfortable and excelling in, and the team knows that. And especially when those areas of comfort fit perfectly into a team's scheme and what they want to run on the floor that the player sometimes becomes complacent and they don't end up developing in other areas. Now, Moses Moody was one of the youngest players in this draft class. And, and I agree with the both of you to an extent, I think there is a roadmap for him to improve on a few skills like his handle, like his mid range pull up, like his finishing around the basket. There are ways to improve his offensive game to, give him a little bit more of a dimension than a three and D actually like that term. If that, if that's yours, Corey, like three and D plus, I really like that term, but given the situation that he's in, in golden state, at least early on, is there a chance that they, they see his value right away as like a, like a catch and shoot three point shooter. And they don't necessarily look to expand his role over the next few years. Or do you think that golden state is one of those teams that's going to embrace experimenting with his offensive game maybe have him try some new things somewhere like in the g league and that he can fulfill more of his promise or do you think that he'll just be locked into more of how he fits in their system and what he can do early on that's kind of just what he may end up being uh well i think i'll say that what i like about players who know how to play the game well in golden state is that i think that their system the way that they share the ball the way the ball swings uh the way that they have guys running off of movement i think that all of those opportunities are there if you 
know how to capitalize on them. You know, if Moody's a guy who's going to be able to be running off screens like Steph or Clay or, or, or any of those guys, um, you know, even a Jordan Poole, like if, if he could do that, he can run off screens and then he gets it on the catch. Well, it's easy to, you know, get into a quick motion where you're, you're taking it off the bounds a little bit. The opportunities will be there. Um, I, I think with him, you know, I, I think he's just going to be a solid guy who develops kind of slowly and, and does a lot of the little things. And, and eventually in, in the future when, you know, a, a lot, I mean, in a few years, these guys are going to be old. Yeah, like so. I think that in a few years, looking down the line, yeah, there's a chance he he gets to show a little bit, and you know, I think maybe he averages you know uh, above 15 points a game at some point in in the future. But for now, I think he's just a guy in who, while he does have some three and D plus elements, and I I feel like he would be a guy who on a team that wasn't really winning anything meaningful, maybe not even like playing in the playoffs. Like he's a guy you could see having a couple of years where he puts up 20 points, but I feel like I've always felt like he's just, he's a glue guy. And if you want him to be his best self, let him be a role player. So that's why I like the fit here um, for him. So I think you'll see flashes here and there, but I think that if you put too much usage on him in those flashes, I think he, he just doesn't have kind of, the athletic tools um as far as speed goes i don't think his handle is like super fluid enough that he's going to consistently break guys down without the speed and you know he's not like a big leaper so uh, to me like if he could just develop and learn how to fit in uh, to me that'll be the best for him long term because that means that you know he could be one of these guys who you just always see on winning teams the jay crowder types you know even if they're not necessarily going to be playing the same position. You know, Jay Crowder's just always on winning teams. I feel like Moody has that in him, but if he wants to be a guy who does more, I feel like, you know, he's just a guy who's going to float around and not really impact winning. Cause I don't think his ceiling is as high as it needs to be to, to fit into that role. And I agree with that completely. I don't think that some of these guys, even if they're drafted in like the back end of the lottery, like the 11 to 14 range, there are people out there who think that these guys have to have more expanded games to justify being selected, even in that late lottery range. But you see so many of these picks, like in, in, in the late lottery, mid first round, even going to the late first round, that just don't pan out at all. And if you can draft somebody who... At this point, he has a role in the league that he could have for, I don't know, the next 10 to 12 years. And you know he's going to be an NBA player. It's just a matter of improving the efficiency of that role. How, how efficient is that three-point jumper? Can he finish around the basket attacking a closeout? Can he be a, at least a solid NBA-level defender? Like If you have that type of a role in place and that's the player you're going to get, somebody who's in the NBA for the next 10 to 12 years, that justifies the pick already. And that's why I think a lot of people were so high on Moses Moody because they saw the floor. They see what types of role players are succeeding in today's NBA. And it's those really long wings who Moses Moody has one of the longest wingspans in this entire draft class. It's these really long wings who can shoot and defend. And we know he's going to have a home one way or the other in the league, whether that's with Golden State or possibly with another team which is a great segue into some of the trade conversations that are still out there Damian Lillard is still with the Portland Trailblazers Bradley Beal is still with the Washington Wizards and somehow Ben Simmons is still with the Philadelphia 76ers though I cannot figure out how he's lasted 
this long in Philly at this point, given the the soap opera that has played out in, in the city that I'm so close to. And the news broke today. Apparently, Ben Simmons wants out of Philadelphia. He is he's nothing, nothing left with the city, nothing left with the team. He doesn't want any part of it. He wants to be gone, removed from the situation completely. We haven't heard any follow-up to today's news of if there's a specific list of teams that he might want to go to. I personally don't know if he should even have that level of choice in the matter. That that seems to me like he's not accepting any sort of responsibility in this situation, but maybe that's a, a separate conversation or maybe it all ties back in together when we're giving our thoughts on Ben Simmons. But the Golden State Warriors were linked to Ben Simmons before the draft. And I think to an extent, they still probably are after the draft, especially when the whole reasoning behind Golden State apparently not pulling the trigger on a deal is that they didn't want to give up as much as Daryl Morey was asking for. Well, now Morey's hands are tied a little bit. And this is probably why we saw Morey, although everyone wanted to give him shit for his high trade demands and the number of assets he wanted back. He kind of had to start high because at some point this was probably going to happen and it was going to get ugly between Ben and Clutch Sports and the Sixers and Ben's trade value, quote-unquote, would be diminished one way or the other. So the asking price was eventually always going to come down a bit. But now that the asking price is lower, you might see Golden State want to hop in on this because Ben, in a lot of different ways, is a really good fit for that team. I don't even think he has to necessarily share the floor with Draymond Green. They can stagger those minutes as best as they can. And you have one of those jumbo-sized playmakers on the floor with guys like Steph and Clay and and even like a Moses Moody or a Jordan Poole. Like you have a dynamic playmaker with some of those shooters on the floor at all times who can also sort of anchor your defense. And that's just a really, really intriguing weapon, I think, for Golden State to have. Uh, but but let's just let's start with general thoughts on the Ben Simmons situation in general. I did a great job on this podcast of going over my thoughts about the whole situation with Michael Connor from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. But Corey, you said before we hopped on that you were going to type out a tweet and you ended up not releasing the tweet. I respect that. Sometimes it's better to sit and, and think about what you want to say and then maybe say something like that on a platform like this versus just trying to bang it out in like 120, 140 characters and maybe your opinion gets misconstrued. We see that happen all the time. So I'll give I'll give you the soapbox first and then I'll kick it over to Albert. What what are your thoughts about the Ben Simmons situation in general? And if you're free to expand into how the Warriors fit into it, if you're the Warriors, would you want to trade for him? What would you even give up to 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 get Ben Simmons since they have so many enticing young assets? Well, yeah, if I mean if I'm the Warriors, I definitely want to go and get Ben Simmons. I understand him, you know, Simmons and Draymond aren't exactly the the fit that you dream of at night when you're trying to put together a front court, but they both offer excellent skills. They're both great defensively. They're smart, you know, basketball minds. And, you know, they're playing with two guys who offer the greatest shooting gravity in the history of the sport who don't necessarily need the ball in their hand. Like uh, the fit to me, sometimes we overthink it. Like I feel like, if you can upgrade to get a talent like Ben Simmons, especially with the trade assets that they have, 
Then I think it's uh it's definitely something they should consider, especially considering their window closes every day as these guys get older. And it's just the reality of it. And when you have guys that are as talented all time as the guys that they have, you should be going for it. Build for the future and you know, play for the now. Sometimes they clash. It's hard to pull that off. The Spurs got real lucky in in how they did it. It, it was as much luck as it was grabbing all those guys in the second. You yep. know, the main point was that they were able to get Tim Duncan. You know, like so they went from <laughs> Robinson to Duncan. That was it. It didn't matter if they got Mano or Tony Parker if they didn't have Duncan. Um, so they have you know the warriors have their guys now and if they can get simmons by trading some of the guys they just drafted i think that that's worthwhile the problem for philly is like what does that do for you so i feel like you need a third team like philly also wants to compete so kaminga or, or moody and uh, you obviously don't want wiseman with mb there like there needs to be a, a third team in there that's going to give philly some kind of win now piece too my thoughts on ben simmons are this though and you know what i tweeted was going to tweet that i didn't is that Ben Simmons is a incredibly talented player, and I would yeah. love I would love to see him play in a context that truly fits his talent, because I don't believe that we've seen the best version of him, three point shot or not. Let him have an open floor with a ton of space, with a team that likes to run and like and just shoots the lights out. I think that he could be a beautiful cog. The problem is, is that he's a big freaking baby can't take criticism has been coddled forever is being continued to be coddled and i don't think we ever see that best version of him because i just don't think he has the right mentality to play um now this whole scenario is really fascinating too like oh he's not going to show up to camp he wants to go to one of the three california teams <laughs> dude you're locked up until 2025 yeah. if i'm daryl if i'm daryl Morey, i might just be like okay you know what? I really want to trade Ben Simmons. All of the trades that I have lined up for him are probably going to be there whenever. I really want Damian Lillard. Let's see if that situation plays out in the worst way. Don't show up. You you don't get paid. Is his value going to be lower because he wasn't showing up? Like everybody already knows that he's like a petulant child. It's he's just very talented. Everybody knows the issues with him. Um, everybody knows he can't shoot. The issues are not hidden. So if he doesn't show up, like, okay, we're just going to sit on the contract because if you don't show up, you're going to throw away what you're just going to retire early. Like if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm not afraid of his little, his little demand. I'm not in any rush. I'm going to wait and take the best package that comes to me when it's available because the Sixers are not in a position where they're ready to rebuild. They need to get something good enough back that they're going to be able to still contend now and, and in the future. So uh, I I think you should just they should be patient and wait for the best package and and whether that's you know Golden State and or whatever in a three way I don't know but this whole scenario is like I don't think it's gonna be settled anytime soon maybe I'm wrong maybe it gets you know he gets traded tomorrow who knows but um I, I Simmons is he's just a guy that like I just don't think he's ever gonna get the mentality of it and it sucks because. What a waste of an awesome talent. He, the, the pendulum has swung way too far in the opposite direction for how good this guy actually is as a player and the things that he does. 
And I feel like if we got to see him on a team that fit his talents, he would really, really be appreciated for more than a guy who just can't shoot. And when, and, and everybody's just too down on him now. It's this, you know, we live in this, what have you done for me lately world? And guy's good. The, the, he's a big part of the Sixer success over the last few years in writing the ship. So I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on him because I, I don't like all of the, the drama that comes along with him, but he's, he's talented. Here's the thing. I 100% agree with you that if Golden State could facilitate a trade in which there is a third team involved and the right assets go to the right places, everybody's happy, and the Warriors end up with Ben Simmons, especially with the asking price coming down now, I agree with you, Corey, wholeheartedly that they should want to do that because if we're talking about the best role and best fit for this Ben Simmons, the Ben Simmons that we saw flame out of the playoffs, the Ben Simmons that we know doesn't want to score the basketball or want to be aggressive with the ball in his hands for whatever reason and just wants to pass it around, make everybody else better, play to their strengths, and then he's kind of free to to live up to his potential on defense. Like The player that we saw in the playoffs is best served on Golden State. But you also talked about what if there's a situation out there for him where he could live up to more of his promise and a situation where he could still grow into more of the player that we always envisioned him being? I actually think that team is the one that apparently is the most involved in these trade talks, which is the Minnesota Timberwolves, because they have Carl Anthony Towns, who is arguably the best floor spacing big man in the NBA. They have other shooters that they could have around Ben Simmons, regardless of who gets traded in the deal. Like, yeah, you'd have an open court. You'd be able to play in transition in half court settings. You'd have towns space on the floor. He's not clogging up the paint. You can let Simmons drive and be aggressive and score inside. Then you get to the point where as long as he's aggressive and getting downhill, you come back to, okay, if he doesn't want to take the jump shot, maybe he doesn't have to take the jump shot all the time. Now, at least we found a way for him to manufacture points, put pressure on the defense to be able to take better advantage of his passing ability, his vision. You know, then we've, we were in a much better offensive system to fit his strengths and have him at least be a different sort of dynamic on offense than just dribbling the ball up the court or handing it off right away and then just standing in the corner or standing in the dunker spot then we've at least made his offensive output a lot more interesting. However, Corey, I used to be a staunch defender for Ben Simmons. Everything that you said, all of the criticisms that you just laid out, I cannot disagree with them anymore. Like, like they are 100% true. I don't know where aggressive Ben Simmons has gone. Either there have been moments in the NBA where he's shown what he can do with scoring the basketball when he's just committed to constantly getting downhill for, for forget the, the stupid jump shot when he's just committed to getting downhill, the amount of pressure he puts on the rim because of his size and his speed, the combination of that is absurd. He can absolutely put in at least 16, 18 points a game, just finishing around the basket. If he's committed to it. And then if he actually at least worked on his free throw, you know, if, if he's, on top of getting downhill as many times, finishing around the basket, if he's also picking up, I don't know, three to four fouls, that's, that's what, six to eight trips to, to the free throw line a night? 
And if he's able to convert at least 75% of those, so you're talking about another six points, like there's no reason why he shouldn't be averaging 24 to 25 points a game a night because I agree with you, Corey. He is that talented. And that to me would be the situation for him to leverage more of those strengths. What do you think about the potential Minnesota Timberwolves fit, Corey? Or do you think that there might be an even better situation out there for him to sort of quote unquote live up to the player that we all thought he was if that's even something that can be obtained at this point? I mean, I, I actually really love the Minnesota fit. I, I mean, like you mentioned Towns, what he can do as a shooter. Uh, I, I think that Simmons helps cover up some of the defensive stuff there. Even, um, you know, then you got obviously some, they got young shooters. They got Ant Edwards, you know, they don't, between Edwards and, and Towns, you don't really need another guy to worry about like scoring a ton of points and being a volume guy. So Simmons doesn't have to worry about that either. Um, I'm assuming what in the trade, you are probably going to have to figure out it's like Russell and maybe Beasley. I don't know if you kept Beasley, I think, you know, that would be, that would be huge. Cause it's another shooter. Uh, it's really fun. And then they have, you know, pieces that you can move around, trade around just to get shooters and, and role players and stuff. I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I haven't given a ton of thought to other spots. I mean, I've always thought that Portland is actually like a good fit for him, regardless of whether it's he's playing alongside Dame or CJ. I still think that that's a, a pretty good spot for him to, uh, to land. But um, yeah, I, I mean, wherever it is, you know, whoever gets him, even like he's locked up, like if he goes to a rebuilding team that doesn't have that team around him yet, like, all right, tough shit. Like you're going to, you might not be on a good team for a year, but, or, or, or two, who knows, but a team could actually build around his strengths if, if they were so inclined. So, um, I, I think that, uh, there's a lot of spots that he can go and he could be really beneficial. And, um, wherever, wherever he lands, if, if a team has to shuffle and, and retool and, and figure out a different plan, then that's what happens because this is the NBA. And like, sometimes your plan is one thing and then a really talented player becomes available. And if you're, if you can get him, especially a player like Ben Simmons, who a lot of these markets aren't ever going to be able to, to sign in free agency. There's not, it's not often that a guy is locked up as long as Ben Simmons is. So I, I think that every team, or maybe not every team, but the majority of teams should be in on this. And I feel like the, the, it should be a, a bidding war at some point because he's, he's very, very talented. And I feel like one of the, one of the things, like, I don't know what teams are making what bids, obviously Maury's been going around to every team asking for the moon and the sun. But um, you know, a, a lot of times if you read the internet too much, you start thinking that all of these players are terrible. And there's like four good players in the NBA, like GMs know how hard it is to get, good players. So yep. I feel like there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested. Albert, I promise I'm not just putting you in the corner, my friend. This is, this uh -huh. is all, this is all connected because mm -hmm. there is another team who has also mm -hmm. been linked to Ben Simmons trade conversations. They are in the mm -hmm. Pacific division. They are a team that resides in California. They're the next team that we technically have to grade. And that would be the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. And they drafted a very interesting player, a guard that I know Corey loves, and I can't mm. wait to also kick it back to, to Corey after you've given your thoughts, Albert, because Corey mm. freaking loves Tavion Mitchell with, with his heart and soul, and we saw him terrorize in Summer League. But that was a really interesting draft pick because it's a it's an incredibly crowded backcourt when you talk about Davion, Tyrese Halliburton, 
De'Aaron Fox. I, I, I guess this is where, Albert, I ask you for some of your thoughts hmm. on Ben Simmons and the situation surrounding him, and then you can pivot into what is your grade for the Sacramento Kings, and do you think that Davion Mitchell is the type of draft pick that you can keep in that backcourt to maybe get rid of a Halliburton or a Fox or whoever you need to to put in that deal? Is Ben Simmons somebody that, if you're the Kings, maybe you want to make that trade like it's been rumored? Right, right. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. We started off with the Warriors and how, you know, that fit could be. Um, I was just thinking of Ben Simmons on the floor with Draymond and, like, he passes up a layup and Draymond yells at him. And then the, <laughs> the, the guys on the baseline come, like, you know, to mop the floor and they think it's sweat, but it's Ben Simmons pissed because he got so scared by Draymond yelling at him and berating him on the court um, was kind of why I don't think that's the greatest fit. But of course, I, I think Corey makes a good point about, you know, like the talent is a talent, but I just feel like Draymond would just eat him alive. And I don't know if Ben Simmons is going to survive that kind of like the whole Jimmy Butler, Carl uh, Anthony Towns thing. So this was what I was thinking. I actually think Ben Simmons going to Sacramento is really interesting just because if you can work a trade of, like, I don't know, like De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, I, I don't know if that money works. I, I don't have the trade machine, um, you know, up right now, but something like that, I, I think could be interesting. Like I imagine Ben Simmons in Sacramento. It reminds me of like, you guys seen the mo movie Borat when Borat first gets to New York and he goes to the hotel and he goes to his room and he sits down in the chair. It's like, I have a chair, I have a chair, King of the castle, that, <laughs> that type of thing. You know, like I, I imagine, I imagine like Ben Simmons, like just sitting in like some shitty chair. He's like all excited to be on a shitty team. And he's like, he's going to make it great. But I think it could be interesting. Like if it's a trade like that where De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heel goes the other way, they I think they could definitely complement Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris out there. But you get Ben Simmons, Halliburton, and Off Knight on the same team, and you've got a nice young core there that I think, as Corey mentioned, we kind of need to see Ben Simmons in a new setting. I think, you know, the rural, quiet area of Sacramento, um, which is Northern California, I believe, um, is kind of the perfect place for him. I think he can reset and Maybe he'll be away from his family and he can, you know, start to grow up and mature and, you know, not be a baby like Corey mentioned. And he'll be in a good situation, I think, with, you know, we've seen what Halliburton was able to do in year one. And I think, you know, Corey and I can talk to you for hours about how good we think Davion's going to be. And I think that fit could be really, really interesting as well. Um, I don't hate the Minnesota thing. I just wonder, like, okay, like, would 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 Cat and his his emotions and been in his emotions and i don't know if that i'm not so sure but anyway in terms of the draft stuff um for me i never understood the discourse of like how could the kings take davion mitchell when they have two point guards already i'm like no like we've seen that teams love multiple ball handlers and the more you can get the kind of the better it goes like we we saw what okc was able to do in the first round of the playoffs uh two years ago with you know chris paul and schroeder and who was the third guard i'm uh, SGA, right? Like that, that was, that really worked for them. And so I had no problem with that at all, especially because Corey and I, we had Davion so high on our boards and him going ninth to the Kings is no problem. I think Davion's going to be an unbelievable defender as he showed in summer league. Yeah. I think some of the plays where he was being super aggressive will be called as fouls, but he just showed like, he's got balls. It's like, he just took yep. out his balls, put them on the table and said, this is who I am. And I'm going to be like this every damn night in the NBA. It was kind of like a little warning to the rest of the league. Like this that's is who I am. That's one of my favorite lines you could ever whip out on this podcast. <laughs> Shout out to Bill Simmons, the pod father. But yeah, that, that's yeah. a fantastic one. 
Yeah, he's, he's just like, he showed everyone, this is who I am. I'm not afraid. And you guys need to be ready for this. And we, we saw he did some shooting off the dribble. He did some catch and shoot shooting. And, he, and we saw how quick he is going to the rim. Now, people had some concerns about that, too. But something that, you know, Corey mentioned that we've talked about a lot um, in terms of his finishing at the rim, he's very crafty. You know, he, he's not just a straight line drive driver. When he gets to the basket, he, he's good at using angles. He's, used a good, he's good at using spin. Like, the, there's a lot more nuance to his finishing around the rim than he gets credit for. And I think that's just going to continue to grow, and he's going to just get better at that on the next level. And then, you know, so for me, I, I gave him an A because I think he's a real culture changer. Uh, he's not just an energy guy, but he's, he's someone that, like, He's palpable. You can feel him on the court, and he's going to be really special. And if that becomes a situation where he ends up there with Ben Simmons and Tyrese Halliburton, I think he's going to rub off on Ben Simmons. I think he might add some. He may add some hair to his chin and make him more of a more of an adult. And I think it, it'll be really interesting. So for me, I, I, I I'm interested in the idea of Ben ending up there. Um, uh, and you know, if Davion's there with him, I'm really excited about. The uh, the upside of that tandem or the the trio with Halliburton. Are you sure that Davion wouldn't pull some of the same stuff that you're concerned about Draymond Green pulling with Ben? That Davion might look at this dude and look across the room and be like, "Who who the fuck am I playing with?" Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Da- da- Davion's kind of of that same milk. Like he he's a different breed, yeah. man. He's a different cat, and that's that's part of the reason why I, I like him and why I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw at summer league that he's. He's one of the most interesting players in terms of we, we have this discussion every single year about free throw and jump shooting correlation and how free throw shooting, positive free throw shooting generally leads to positive outside shooting. And apparently Davion is just going to break that mold completely because he did not shoot well from the free throw line still in summer league, yet all of his pull-up jumpers were just like butter. So I don't know what it is. It's weird. I don't necessarily see anything mechanically that throws a shot off from the free throw line. I don't know if it's just like a mental thing, whatever. But when you take out the free throw shooting, he was dynamic in so many areas for that Kings team that ended up winning the summer league championship. Davion locked up multiple intriguing talents who were also drafted alongside of him or even drafted a year ahead of him. We're talking about the job that he did on Peyton Pritchard one of the hottest players in all of summer league and Davion literally ate his lunch in front of him and then spat it back out at him right in front of him. That was one of the best defensive performances performance that I think I'll ever see in the summer league. So um, I, I really like Davion as an NBA player, Corey, I've definitely warmed up to him. I'm starting to see a lot of what you saw in him. I had some of the concerns that I also shared with quote unquote consensus and I don't always like agreeing with consensus, but when you take that drastic of a leap of improvement in jump shooting, um, com- like when you're comparing one year compared to the previous other years, it's not, you know, that scares me. The free throw shooting thing scared me. The age thing can s- scared me in terms of how much could he actually keep improving. But I didn't realize how hard this dude works. And we talked about it on your podcast where – I was out there in summer league and I'd be hearing that he was working out across town, the, the other side of Vegas uh, with like Tyrese Halliburton, like really early in the morning, getting up, doing all kinds of drills, workouts before he even got to summer league practice and getting ready to prep himself for games that day. And it's like, this is a young dude who was drafted in the lottery. Definitely is making a bag now. 
can live life a little bit in Las Vegas, like the majority of his other peers. And yet this man is just choosing to get up at the ass crack of dawn in the morning and just continue to work on his game, despite him being out in Vegas summer league. And that stuff impresses me. That stuff is real. That's not fake. That's not a facade. And that's going to play itself out in the NBA. And this dude is going to keep getting better and better and better year by year. Now, when we get to the second contract thing, he's obviously going to be an older player, yada, yada, yada. You cross that bridge when you get to it, but that shouldn't necessarily stop you from taking who I guess ended up being the best player available at at number nine, at least right now, very early returns on that pick would say that Davion Mitchell was very worthy of that pick. And I think Corey, you alluded to Golden State having possibly another option there at number seven, who might've been a better fit. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Davion Mitchell might've been, who you were talking about, because I know you've been high on him from the start. So it's time for you to give your Sacramento Kings draft grade and to, just as I said to Albert, get, for him to give us his Jonathan Kaminga thoughts, give me and my audience all of your Davion Mitchell thoughts. And in case my audience needs a refresher on just how high you were on it. <laughs> yeah. So I had Davion at like sixth overall on my board. I, you know, I, and, and I understand like that is way high. In, in especially versus consensus. And I wasn't doing it to try to be different or to buck consensus by any means. I was doing it because I saw things that I want out of like a modern day shorter point guard. But like, to me, he is a good fit in Sacramento because we've already seen him thrive in a three guard lineup in route to a championship. He played next to Macy OT. He played next to Jared Butler. He played on the ball. He played off the ball and he defended a multitude of positions and he did it by getting up right in your shirt, closing the space like a boxer at a reach disadvantage. And just, it didn't, his height just didn't matter. Um, But I I wrote um, a a piece on him on my sub stack that I kind of compared him to the TV show Lost because one of the central themes of that show was there was one character who was a man of science and there was one character who was a man of faith. Um, Now the truth always lied somewhere in the middle between that, but like sometimes you just have to trust your eyes and maybe the math isn't going to tell the whole story. Like his shot went in because he was a good jump shooter. To me, there was nothing about it that it made it seem like an aberration. He was always able to create the necessary space in his uh, off-the-bounce shots. His his catch-and-shoot shots, he stepped into it. It was fluid. There was nothing there that I was like, oh, he can't do that. To me, athletically, he's one of the most elite athletes in the class. And it, you look at it on the surface and you say, how could that be? Because he's not throwing down tomahawk dunks. But like when you just talk about first step speed, start, stop, and his ability to move laterally on defense, to me, athletically, he was off the charts. And that's the difference between being confident in a player of his age versus, you know, a, a guy like uh, Sam Merrill last year who was mm-hmm. looked like baby Luca out there. But you knew, <laughs> you knew that he wasn't going to be able to do those same things in the NBA. To me, Davion looked like at Baylor a cross between – you know, Kemba and like Marcus Smart, maybe not topping out as well as either of those guys on either side. But when you combine that package, it was devastating. You, and then you talk about the effort, the impact he's going to have. And I, I mean, I, I loved what 
the Kings have been doing. And, and if you look at their draft record the last couple of years, pretty solid. It's pretty solid. So I, I think they're starting to figure out uh, exactly what they're doing. And, and Davion, to me, he just wasn't a guy that I was willing to bet against. And he, to me, like he proved the winning mentality thing two years in a row. If, if it wasn't for, for COVID and quarantine and the season getting shut down early, who knows? Baylor would have could have had a long tournament run. Yep. In, in 2020. And if that happened, maybe we're not hearing about how old he is. And, you know, some of the other questions maybe would have been a little bit more viable, but like he came back and he improved on his weaknesses. We were willing to give a prospect, a young prospect like Zaire Williams, all of the excuses for having to go through a hard time. And, you know, uh, what did the pandemic do? And like all potentially valid, but like, we're not willing to also credit a guy like Davion Mitchell for grinding and turning some of those weaknesses into strengths. Um, so, you know, there was an inconsistency. Some people I think became too focused on consensus. Uh, but I, I think that with all of the actual, like people who were working around the league, I don't really think there was any ever, any, uh, wavering ever. Like, you know, I remember texting with a scout, um, and, uh, I would, I told him, I was like, yo, am I crazy to like love Davion Mitchell or what? And he was like, nah, man, this dude is legit. Uh, and he's like, you were right, man. I, I didn't realize what the internet felt about this kid. Like the internet did not like him. Right. Like, he's like, this is wild. I posted something about him and my mentions were crazy. Uh, and then he's like, and by the way, what is up with like the Jaden Springer stuff? Cause the internet loves Jaden Springer. Like people had that dude way, way, way low on, on their boards or high, I guess on their boards. Um, and it's just sometimes like the consensus on the internet doesn't actually match what the, you know, the, the league feels. And I feel like they got it right with this Davion Mitchell thing. Um, you know, obviously they got a guy I had at six at nine. So that's an A for me, but I feel like that's an act. That's the range he should, he should be going at. Like it, to me, if, if he dropped that, I don't feel like he dropped cause he was three spots below where I had him on my board. Um, even though I, I do think he would have been just such a great fit alongside Steph and Clay in the backcourt. But, you know, we one last thing on Davian before I, I toss it toss it over. You know, we, we always look at the the guys we want in the draft, six seven, six eight, long wingspan, able to guard the Kawhis, the Paul George, the LeBrons, you know, uh but if you look in the West, those aren't the only guys who were putting in work, right? You got yep. John Morant, you got Steph. You got Dame, you got Chris Paul, you got Donovan Mitchell, you got Jamal Murray, you got CJ McCollum. I mean, you have all of these guards that Davion is like tailor made to make work. Nobody's going to stop all of these guys, but you want guys that are going to be able to make them work for their points, take tough shots, maybe have some inefficient nights. Maybe they're going to get their points, but it's on more attempts. It's taking the team out of their rhythm. I mean, the way that this guy avoids ball screens by getting over is unreal. He's blowing things up right from the jump, you know, and, and that's irregardless of him getting up in your space one-on-one, -on -one, he's just blowing up sets, you know, for, <laughs> in general. So I, I love what they did. I, I think that, you know, if any, if you work in basketball in any capacity, he just does so many of the little things that get you excited that aren't going to show up in a, a, a advanced stats graphic. Um, so, but at the end of the day, you can't argue the kid wins and that's the end goal. So you can have the guy who puts up these pretty stats and, you know, that fit into whatever the acronym du jour is, but 
at the end of the day, this dude's going to play on a lot of winning teams and he's going to be a big part of it. You mentioned a lot of the other smaller guards in the Western Conference that Davion is going to be a weapon against defensively. And I think about Davion Mitchell going up against Donovan Mitchell one of these nights. And it makes me think about how we we were robbed with, with Marv Albert retiring a year early. We were robbed <laughs> and having to sit there and probably confuse the hell out of both of those guys when they're playing against each other. Like the same last name, Mitchell on Mitchell. Oh man, that, that would have been a potential broadcasting treat for, for all of us fans. But yeah, you make a lot of excellent points, Corey. And I think when we come back to the evaluation of Davion, and that split between consensus media and draft Twitter, both of those separate spaces, the split, the reason why I think sometimes you see these big names come out, right? Like, like a, like a Chad Ford or a Mike Schmitz or a Jonathan Wasserman. And you see them make these bold proclamations like, yeah, I watched this tournament game or I watched this late season college game. I'm going to plant my flag. I'm hearing something. I like the guy. I'm going to plant my flag here. Here's where I have Davion Mitchell. I'm going to put him all the way up here, even though he might not have been all the way up here at the start of the season. And there's a segment of draft order that looks at that and goes, ah, I don't want to agree with that. I don't want to seem like I'm bandwagoning on, on that. May it be right? It might be, but I don't know if I want to plant my flag on that. Sam Island, like have this meteoric rise because we talk about in the scouting world how generally by this point in the year, when a lot of people were shooting Davion all the way up the draft boards, you generally don't see that seismic of a shift. Or if you do on a draft board, you it generally goes against your gut instinct, and the change that you made generally ends up being wrong. However, sometimes Sometimes it is the right decision to make. Sometimes it is right to side with some of those quote-unquote general media evaluators who also get great intel, by the way, because they're so plugged in. Um, I, I think it's actually – it was awesome to see Mike Schmitz commit so heavily to Davion Mitchell because Mike is – I think he's without question the best mainstream talent evaluator that we have in the space right now. And he jumped on that bandwagon so fast. And I'm glad that he did because he's going to look really smart doing so. And he did it going against those general scouting tropes. He planted his flag on the island. And you did the same, Corey, and you both are going to look right. And me being a little lower on him than some others, I don't, I don't rank these guys over here at Draft Deeper 1 through 30 or 1 through 60, but I put them in tiers. And I had Davion in more of a, a specialist six-man type of tier because I thought that's what he was going to be in the NBA. I didn't see the starting caliber guard, like guaranteed one through four starter on a really good or championship level team. I didn't see him having that same level of impact he did a Baylor for a professional team, but it looks like at least right now, I'm going to be wrong about that. And I wish that maybe I had gotten on that bandwagon a, a little sooner. What, what do you think about that, that, that general scouting idea that sometimes people in our space where we're more of the quote-unquote draft Twitter side kind of just want to side against the, the, the major media outlets because it's the, the, the hip thing to do or the cool thing to do. And sometimes that's the right side to take, but you also lose plenty of those battles as well. Uh, yeah, well, first out, shout out to Mike. You know, I'm a little biased because Mike's my, you know, my dude. Yep. Um, but I also think he's the best guy in the space. 
you know, I remember last year when, you know, he was, he, we were talking about Tyrese Halliburton. He just kept telling me like the dude could play like just believe in him, believe in him. And I didn't believe in him enough. Um, so I've learned to, to listen to what Mike says and, and take it seriously. Cause the dude, I'm telling you like this dude knows players in countries that I didn't even exist. Like I didn't know existed. And he's got, he's out there scouting these guys at young ages the dude works so hard, so definitely shout out to my guy, Mike. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that sometimes basketball can be simple. And one of the awesome things about the space now is that we're learning how to complicate it sometimes in like a good way. Like we're learning about the advanced stuff and metrics and like, and it's been obviously incredibly helpful. It's transformed the game. But there are times when things are, are simple, and I feel like a lot of people in our space, they want to like take the smartest approach possible. When sometimes like a pick and roll is just a pick and roll, and you don't need <laughs> to write a dissertation on it. And like I love a lot of that smart stuff, I really do. But sometimes, like a guy just blew by another guy because he's got a quicker first step, and as much math or SAT words as you want to throw at it, sometimes it's just that black and white, right? So I think with consensus sometimes, you know, people always like going against the grain when uh, people find an indie band that they like, they like them until they blow up and then they blow up and they're, you know, they're out on them. It's just, it's it's human nature almost to, to kind of be like that. And in this draft space, I, I think it's so much like finding an indie band. Like you want to be the guy that knew about the player before everybody else did. And then once that becomes popular, you kind of want to be the guy who goes against it so you can be look, you know, look back and be like, see, I, I didn't believe in him like that. So there's a lot of that going on in the space for sure. And um, there's a lot of the overcomplications and sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's simple. And and look, sometimes it's not simple. Sometimes it is complicated and there's so much gray area. And that's why all of the nuance and, and the stuff that guys like PD Webb does, like that's why that kind of stuff is, is really fun to watch. Um, but you have when when you go that in depth with a lot of the things, you really got to know your stuff, really really know your stuff because you could start sounding like you're in a little bit over your head when you're just trying to sound like the smartest guy in the room to go against the grain or or for whatever reason. Like sometimes, just call it like it is. There's a black and white answer. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Corey. We and Albert as well. We've had plenty of those conversations behind the scenes about <laughs> the the overcomplicated terms that that I will hear on social media. Like, like, listen, I, I did not play this game at a high level, but I've talked to over the years. I've talked to plenty of coaches, players, agents. Name the name the occupation. Like I probably talked to somebody from the occupant, former executives, current executives. I've talked to enough people in the basketball industry, and over the last decade, I have not heard some of the terms that I've heard on draft Twitter being used to talk about the game, and it just it blows my mind. I'm like, I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? Like I've never heard anybody <laughs> use this term before, and it just it it blows my mind. But yeah, you're right, Corey. If you do have people in the space who are using those terms and they're doing a great job at educating us exactly what they're talking about and helping us see through their lens 
like PD Web, for example, who does incredible stream work, does work that I envy. I wish I could do some of the stuff that he does. But yeah, there, there are also times in the space where we, I think we can just calm down a, a little bit and just call a spade a spade. But Albert, do you have anything else you, you want to toss in on, uh, on any, any of those points and comments? No, not really. I mean, for me, guys, I, I, I'm not like you guys. I'm a, I'm a normal person coming in from uh, a normal job. Um, I've never, ever claimed to be like some crazy draft expert. I just love the draft to death and I've loved it since I was a kid. And I think, you know, like I, I really, I can't, agree with you guys more. I think sometimes you just have to keep things simple and maybe it's because I like it when things are simple. Not to say that I'm an idiot. I'm a, I'm a highly educated man myself, uh, but you know, it, it's basketball. And I think sometimes we definitely overcomplicate things. So uh, I, the only thing I'll say is amen to what everything else you guys just said, because I agree with it all. And um, yeah, I hope to never ever be that like snotty, arrogant dude on twitter or anywhere where like <laughs> i try to act like yeah like you guys don't know jack about the draft you don't you don't watch tape like i do like i i hope to never be that guy um but at the same time i will say on the other hand i've had some people that i know for a fact have only watched like a couple of youtube highlights and they'll have the audacity to say to me like yeah man like i've been watching the tape and i'm like Are you the tape are you sure? Or did you watch a couple of five minute YouTube videos? So uh, I think it kind of goes both ways, but I'm with you guys. Sometimes we got to simplify things and um, I need it because I'm not an expert. I'm a commoner and uh, I'm, I'm just glad to be here with you guys. Well, well, Albert, I think you're making a good point. And, you know, maybe it's because I've worked in education for almost 10 years and I've coached for almost 10 years. If you're going to use a lot of the complicated terms, or you're going to use like, you know, pistol, horns, hawks, and just start not Stop naming it. sets on Twitter, right? Like, yeah. do it to educate. Mm. Like, ha have you, if anybody who's been, been in school, gone to college, you know, you listen to a teacher, or a professor, or, or a coach, or whatever it is, a boss, try to explain something that, you know, they could be incredibly knowledgeable about, but it's boring, it's dry and they don't know how to convey it to because there's so many different kinds of learners in the world. If you're just talking to talking, talking to talk, like you're not conveying what you know, and that's what makes it sound snotty sometimes. Don't assume everybody knows the vocabulary that you know. You need to break it down. Not everybody has been coaching for 10 years. You know, some people just like you, like the draft, and like you see – how how hard it you know you've been putting in more work than the majority of the people who maybe even have been working in in basketball covering the space um doing the podcast every week and watching film because you want to be credible but it's talk to people like they're people you got to break yeah. things down in a way that they can understand and is educational because it's not going to be it's not fun in any capacity no matter what you're into if you just listen to somebody talk about the like the most boring thing with these really complicated uh, terms and definitions and, and all like, you're just not going to understand it and you're going to tune out. And uh, that's why I think a guy like PD does it so well. He has like a literal glossary of terms that he uses. Um, but there are a lot of people that try to like copycat that style and it doesn't convey to me to other people. They might love it and good. You know, that's, that's what makes the space fun. Cause there's so much variety in it. But to me, like I want to be educated because 
I may have a lot of, you know, a, a good amount of experience as a coach, but like, I want to learn something new. I never want to stop learning. Cause if I do, I'm not getting any better at what I'm doing. I, if I get something wrong, I want to go and figure out what I got wrong about it. Uh, I don't want to just like, you know, I, I need to improve. So I, I don't mind that. I, I want to learn. I want to learn, but I need it to be done in a way that I'm going to be able to learn. I, I shouldn't have to like put in a ton of work to figure out what the hell you're trying to convey. <laughs> if you're in the, cause if you're in the space, you want to be understood or else people are going to tune out. Um, but what the hell do I know? I don't know. It's one man's opinion. No, no, I agree with you because especially when, when it comes to terms used by coaches, especially when they're, they're drawing up different sets, like every coach has their own vocabulary and their own group of yeah. terms that they use. Like we, we, we can mention Spain pick and roll and there's probably 10 or 20 different terms used on Twitter today alone for what a Spain pick and roll actually is. So like, yeah, I, I agree with you, Corey. It's all about taking the time to actually elaborate and explain what term you're using versus just throwing something out there in a sentence and expecting the entire world to, to understand it. And, and, and by the way, Albert, before we move on to our last team that we need to grade, give yourself some more credit, man, because you have been putting in the work this year. I listen to you and Corey on your show. You will absolutely say something on every episode when you're going back and, and talking about something you watched on film. And I'll be like, damn, I missed that. Like, I actually did not see that. I need to go back and look and, and see this for myself. Like, you have a good eye for things, Albert. You, you, you're you doing an excellent job at evaluating in the space. So do do not sell yourself short, my friend. I, I will not let you do that, at least on my show. I will. If you want to self-deprecate yourself on the draft act, by all means, take no. that stick. But I won't let you do it on my show. No, no, no. The kid is nice with it. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, hum he's humble, but he's nice with it. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it. So I am going to kick it over to you, Albert, to start for our, for our last team that we need to grade mm. because the Lakers and the Suns didn't end up actually making any right. draft picks. So that we'll, we'll, we'll leave them for the end. But the Clippers, being involved in a bunch of trades, didn't end up getting a bunch of draft picks. Mm. And they brought in some really intriguing names for the long term. Right. Keon Johnson, Jason Preston, and BJ Boston. And... Seeing all of them play at Summer League, it's clear that they're all a ways away from making a legitimate NBA impact, which is fine. The rookies, this is a contending team when Kawhi's healthy, making these picks. They they don't expect a bunch of rookies to be 7th, 8th, ninth men for them right out of the gate on a team that's playing with that level of expectations. But you see Keon Johnson on the floor, especially seeing him in person out in Vegas and my God, the level of athlete he is. Like We talk about how great of an athlete he is when we go back and watch the Tennessee tape or maybe when we're talking about when he, he, he set the record, the record on the vertical leap. But you actually see it in person, especially in this environment against guys who are likely going to be in the NBA making a contribution at some point or they're guys who are worthy of fighting for a spot in the NBA. Like This is not like, Division two college level talent that Keon Johnson's racing past up and down the floor. Like Keon belongs in the NBA, and it's really scary to look at him athletically and just think to yourself, holy crap, if this kid actually puts it together, if he can shoot better than four of 16 from the floor, if he can knock down jumpers with any sort of consistency, if he commits to doing the little things like some of his peers did, 
in summer league, like Jalen Johnson, for example, the athlete that he is, he committed himself to doing the little things and he racked up so many easy buckets. If Keon does those same things, he studies defense and is able to learn more about positioning and playing angles to affect the game properly on that end of the floor as well. Like, holy cow, guys, we could be talking about one of the biggest steals in the entire draft. I know, I know that coach David Thorpe was really high on Keon. I think he was, Keon was like a top eight guy for him, which ironically is where a lot of people had him on their boards early on in the season, but then they ended up dropping him as they went back and, and studied the film. And I think we all dropped him to an extent because we realized how far away he might actually be from an understanding of the game perspective versus just pure raw talent. But God, just seeing the the pure unadulterated talent up front, it, it it was it was breathtaking at some points, to say the least. And then I talked about BJ Boston on your guys' show. I said that if we look at BJ Boston right now and what he was able to do in summer league and some of the things he showed, like the other guy that really skyrocketed down boards alongside of him was Zaire Williams. Zaire Williams was picked at number 10. BJ Boston was 51. I Given the value, I'd probably rather actually have BJ Boston. So I think that the Clippers nailed this draft. I am giving them an A um, for, for what they did, knowing that they made all of these picks for the long term, understanding these picks are for the long term. This could be massive, massive value for them, like two to three years down the road. So um, what what's your grade for, for the Clippers, Albert? Um, okay, so I'll start with the grade. Um, the grade that I gave the Clippers was a B. Um, and I'll explain why for us, I know for Corey and I, we were not anywhere near as high on Keon as others were. Um, I think for me, especially when, cause we, you know, Corey and I were at the draft and the Clippers took Keon with the Knicks pick. And so when we were at the draft, I, I think Corey and I, we were trying our best to stay off of Twitter so we could just live with like the drama of being at the draft. And so when it was announced that the Knicks took Keon Johnson with that pick, I almost had a panic attack. And I, Corey knows, Corey was there. He saw me freaking out. I hated the idea of the Knicks taking Keon Johnson. But I, th this is what I'll say. I, I think when we first talked about Keon, I described him as a Tasmanian devil. I think there is a lot of chaos to his game on both sides of the floor. And, you know, chaos can be good and bad. Um, I think there are times offensively where the chaos leads to madness and leads to some really sloppy turnovers and some really messy possessions. I think defensively, too, there were times where he had some really ridiculous blocks and he had really good high energy, high effort moments defensively. So, you know, the 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 Tasmanian devil, when he starts twisting, he leaves behind him a whole mess. And I think that was kind of how I saw Keon Johnson last year. Um, I, I will say to his credit, there were some moments when, you know, when Corey and I were watching his tape, he, he had some, you know, moments in the mid range where I was like, that's kind of nice. Um, he had some really nice mid range jump shots, you know, off the dribble, you know, that were really uh, heavily contested. And I was like, that's, that's a pretty nice look right there. If he can continue to develop that on the off offensive side of the ball, then yeah, you know, there is potentially, it's just, you know, I wasn't so high on him, even the measurables. I know like measurables aren't everything. The, the vertical was awesome, but I didn't like how short he was. I, I, for whatever reason, I thought he was going to be a little bit taller. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe it's because I have bad vision. I have no idea. Um, but I thought he'd be a little bit taller. He was a little bit I shorter he than portrayed I portrayed as like a three man, but in reality, right. he's the size and he's probably going to end up being a two. I agree with that. 
Exactly. So, you know, I, I saw him a, a little bit bigger, but, you know, it, it, I can understand why the Clippers took him there. The BJ Boston thing, I totally agree with you. I think I'd much rather have him at 51 than Zaire at 10. You know, Corey and I, we hated that pick. You know, the Grizzlies taking Zaire at 10. I still don't understand that pick. And I think, it, look, I, I can't tell the future. But for me, if I was a betting man, I would say they're going to regret that pick. And that's just how I feel. Um, and then the Preston thing is interesting. I, I really like Jason Preston a lot. And the fact that they got him where they got him, I think is, is good. Like Preston reminds me, I, I, we've all played basketball. I've, I've never played a high level of basketball, but I mean that the highest level I played was like in intramurals in college. And I remember there's this guy on our team. His name was Kwame lefty. He was a little like a heavier set guy, but he was literally unguardable. Like you look at him and he was like, how is this guy getting by me every single time? How is he like, you just can't stop him. And that's kind of some of what I saw with Jason Preston, like a very nuanced game. He doesn't look like a physical specimen, but he's, he's sneaky. There is some sneakiness to his game. And there's, you know, a nice savviness to his game that I like a lot. And I think he can provide a different angle of offensive production on the Clippers. Um, so I, I I really like the three picks actually. You know, BJ Boston was a guy that I was kind of unsure of, but he had glimpses, as you mentioned, on our pod uh, in summer league. So overall, um, I like their draft. I didn't love their draft because of Keon, so I gave them a B. Before I kick it over to to Corey Albert, since you did mention that, that you do like Jason Preston, it's it's interesting because we we watched these three guys play in summer league, and I actually think I I didn't say anything in, in my opening segment about Jason Preston, but I actually think that he might be the one guy who can crack Clippers rotation next year because their point guard's depth still isn't there. And Preston just knows how to play. He's not going to blow you away athletically, but he has the requisite size for the position. And the kid just knows how to play. He knows how to get others involved. He can get his shot when he has to. Do I want him being a volume creator in the NBA? No, but he can get his shot when he has to. And as like a backup point guard in the NBA, I, I actually thought that he might he might turn out to be worth that early second round pick. I, I don't know if I would have taken him that high. I wasn't as high on him coming out into the draft as some other people, but he looked like the one guy, he, he understood what he was doing on both ends of the floor out there in Vegas. I think that he actually has a chance to, to play some sort of minutes for, for the Clippers next year even over the other two guys. What do you think about that? Oh, that's for me, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, I, as I mentioned, like, there's just something about him that I, I feel like there's a maturity to his game, right? Like, and, and I don't just mean, like, mentally, like, his overall feel, but his overall, like, the way he moves, the way he knows, as you mentioned, knows where he has to be, the angles that he takes, the vision, the passing, all that stuff. Like, there's a strange maturity to his game that is interesting. And as, as, as we talked about, he doesn't have all the physical gifts, but he makes up for it by making the right plays, by being in the right places. And I think that it's, it, it's, it's going to kind of, I really do agree with you. I think there's a real opportunity for him to play next year, especially on a team that's not going to have Kawhi for, if not the whole season, you know, a majority of it, there, there's an opportunity there. And I don't feel the same about Keon. And I don't exactly feel the same about BJ. So I'm with you there, man. I, I think there, he he could be someone who actually contributes. Ori, what is what is your grade for for what the Clippers did? What are your thoughts on those three guys? And 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 how do you feel about what the Clippers were able to get with, with the value in those picks? 
Yeah, I you know one of the the constant themes on our show is that Albert and I agree a lot, um, and and I'm gonna agree with him here. I think the Clippers got to be as well. Um, like we said, you know, Keon, at, you know, we did an episode on him, and it was when he was ranked very highly. Still, uh, he was projected as a top ten pick at the time, and we just watched the tape, and we just went like, man, like really, like what is he doing as a basketball player that makes you? think that because this is a strong draft and like you can jump high sometimes and like you know we talk about like crazy athleticism but was it functional and it wasn't always functional um and a lot of times he was just an out of control guy who would do like something awesome on one end like just be you know a, a menace on defense and then he'd come with that tasmanian devil energy that albert coined and you know ch- charge right into somebody um the other way and uh, so when we were looking at him really high, I didn't really love it at this range. I thought it was good value because, you know, right. th- he, I think he's got a, a smooth looking shot for a shot that doesn't go in a lot. I feel like there's something to work with. There's a skeleton there by all accounts. He is a super hard worker, just a, a gym rat. Um, I would have liked him to be a small forward and, and, you know, it's, it's frustrating. I think that, because he is small and he looked small on the court, uh, he's going to be a guy who guards a lot of people in the backcourt. I don't think he's going to have kind of the strength to bang with, you know, the the three four types in in the league. But uh, I do think he can be a menace in the backcourt. You know, I I personally and I think at this range the comparison seems a little bit more apt. But like I feel like he could have like an Amon Shumpert type role, and it's not sexy and it's not this high level player. But like Amon Shumpert had a a strong career. Um, a long career, yep. Uh, you know, so like, and and he was valuable. He played on good teams, and you know, he brought things that are important from a role player. And I feel like Keon can bring a lot of those things for the Clippers in particular. I don't know how much I I personally love it, but uh, I at twenty one, you know, I I can't complain. I probably would have gone uh, the way the board had fallen. I probably would have taken um, Isaiah Jackson there for the Clippers personally. Give them. Uh, you know, a, a nice young big, but you know, they, they went with Keon and, and I, I can't hate on it. We'll, we'll see how it, that shakes out as he develops. Um, Your boy, Josh Christopher was also on the board for that <laughs> at, at 21. Maybe that would have he been was. the four he picked. He, he, he was, um, he, he should have gone earlier. Um, but, uh, Preston, I actually, he went right around where I had him on my board. I always like Preston. He's never going to be sexy. His stats are never going to be great, but I think he's always just going to be like a solid kind of backup guy who's going to play in the league for a while. And then Boston at 51, like you said, I, give me Boston at 51 versus Sire at 10. Uh, I, I don't particularly love the fit for Boston in on the Clippers either because I feel like he's a guy who kind of needs the ball in his hands to to thrive and uh, maybe this year he'll have it a little bit more because Kawhi will be out for a lot of it. Even you know, even still, probably not with some of the players on the team. So I don't know if I really love it. I think he's going to be a, a G League guy. Um, but there's a you know there was certainly a reason that he was ranked as highly as he was uh, in high school. So if you can get that at 51, it's certainly worth a shot in the dark. They didn't mortgage their future to try to get him right. Um, they didn't trade multiple lottery picks to to have the opportunity to add Brandon Boston. It's an it's a low risk, high reward move. Uh you know, I, I think that they they did fine. You know, they they passed, 
They did well. They did their homework. They they showed up to attendance. They got their participation grade up. Their test grades weren't the best, <laughs> but like all sometimes all you got to do is be kind to the teacher and and hand in the homeworks and you you're you're able to walk through with a B and I think that's what they did. That pretty much sums up everything that I could have said about the Clippers draft night. And that that brings us to the end of actually handing out grades for these Pacific Division teams because as I said, the Lakers and the Suns did not end up making a draft pick. Now, the Lakers in particular had a few intriguing undrafted guys that they had playing on their summer league team, Joel Ayayi, as well as Austin Reeves. Um, the Suns, nobody really stood out to me. I guess um, the kid out of Creighton, Tyshawn Alexander, has always been interesting, but he wasn't in this draft. Um, obviously, Jalen Smith, the big man out of Maryland, also was not in this draft. But was there anybody for you guys that stuck out from from either of those two teams maybe is, is worth mentioning on this podcast? I'll start with you, Corey. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not from an, an NBA perspective, like even with the Lakers, like, uh, I, I, he's fine. And, um, you know, he's, <clears throat> he might be able to carve a, a, a little role out in the league. Um, I think he'll probably bounce up and down G league, play a couple of games. I don't, I never really saw like a, a super high productive player that like I was like stoked to see in the league um, at Gonzaga with them. And, and Reeves is like, he's one of those guys where like, yeah, he's the old guy that you should be wary about. Who's putting up big stats. Like what kind of role is he really going to play at the next level? Like, even if he puts up some stats in the G league, like when he gets called up, is he going to be put in a role to, to really thrive another guy who kind of likes the ball in his hand? I don't know. Uh, so I'm not really excited about either one of those guys necessarily. And, um, not, not with the Suns either. Like even with, you know, some of the guys you mentioned who weren't even in this class particularly, uh, cause it's so hard. There's so much talent in the NBA now. Like it's so hard to be like a fringe guy and to get excited about that. Um, it's, I think what's cool about the draft is following that journey. And that's part of why the draft is fun. Cause you do get excited about fringe guys. But uh, this particular group of fringe guys, not necessarily for me. That's actually, before I kick it over to Albert, that's a that's a great point that you just made, Corey, with how much talent is coming into the league out of these last two draft classes in particular, that so many roster spots are now going to be filled uh, with a lot of these guys getting their rookie contracts, that it's going to make evaluating future drafts a little bit harder because you can't you can't keep adding this many quote-unquote quality prospects into the league like at some point there just won't be enough jobs available um, unless we actually do expand and we get two more teams which yeah that could happen that might not happen I don't know all of the politics going on in the NBA right now behind whether we actually get two expansion teams or whatever the case may be but yeah it's eventually like a lot of these jobs are going to be taken and the, while we might like guys in subsequent draft classes after this, because we're all probably going to be evaluating those future draft classes, we're we're eventually going to have to set a point where it's like, yeah, you're you're good, but you're not this good. Are you really better than this guy and this guy who were drafted one or two years earlier than you? And so it's going to be really interesting as that dynamic gets to take place, especially over the next few drafts, because of the massive influx wave of of draft talent that we just had. Um, 
And then as for Joel Iai, listen, I'll still buy all the Joel Iai stock. He was never going to shine in, in an environment like Summer League. Um, that That's not his game. He's not one of those guys who's just going to jack up a million shots like Cam Thomas, and he's going to shoot for the stars and, and shine amongst them. He is a glue guy. He's a role player. I still think he has a home in the NBA, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Any any other closing thoughts, Albert, on those two teams or the Pacific Division as a whole? Yeah, for me, Nathan, I'm totally with you. I actually had a second-round grade on IIE. I, I really liked IIE a lot. I thought, uh, as Corey mentioned, I thought he could definitely find himself a role in the NBA. IIE always reminded me of, like, you guys remember in high school, like, you know, there's always that kid right before the bell rang who, like, knew when the bell rang, so he would, like, prep his bag and put everything away like two minutes before and the teacher flips out and goes, uh, you're, you're not, you're not dismissed by the bell. You're dis- dismissed by me. Um, Ayayi always was like that for me where anytime anyone put up a shot, like he was so ready to uh, like, sorry, on the defensive end, if anyone ever put up a shot, he was so ready to book it down the court and just run into transition and try to get like an easy layup or cherry pick something was, um, how I always viewed Ayayi both in college and in summer league. Um, I thought the point, Corey, that you made about Austin Reeves is so accurate because when the Lakers played the Knicks in summer school, a summer league, I said summer school, um, Miles <laughs> McBride just went at him. Like he just locked him up and was an absolute nightmare for him. And he had nothing like Austin Reeves could not do anything. So that's exactly how I view Austin Reeves in the league. We also didn't men- mention a uh, Mac McClung uh, who will, probably flame out with his unbelievable high school mixtape and the fact that he was hated at Georgetown and and Texas Tech by his teammates. Um, I don't know how that leads to an NBA career, but respect to him and the grind. I hope he finds something. But um, yeah, I'll just end with the fact that I loved Ayayi and I hope he he can figure something out. We didn't mention one name on this podcast that I will mention before we're done, but does anybody have a guess as to the player that we missed in, in grading these teams? Is it Sam Merrill's favorite teammate? <laughs> Nemius Keita? <laughs> that would, that, that, that would be correct. We did, we did not mention Nemius Keita um, yeah. out of Utah state 39 for the Kings. Listen, good player, probably going to be an NBA journeyman as a big man. So there, there's, there wasn't a, ton to write home about him anyways he was <laughs> deserving of his second round pick i had him as like a, an early second round type of talent so i'm glad that he was chosen there we'll see if he makes an impact at all for the sacramento kings but that is going to wrap up our show Corey, albert it's always fun talking basketball with you guys because i think the three of us see the game through a very similar lens we're here to have fun we're here to learn we're here to get better that's what this is all about. That's why my platform exists. That's why your platform exists. And I can't wait to be doing some more work with you guys, hopefully in the near future. Corey, where can everybody find you on social media and, and, and find your work and see what you're doing? Oh, so many places. Um, on uh, Twitter, <laughs> you can find me at the Hardwood Mag, um, where all, all my tweets go. Uh, you can find my YouTube channel where I'm doing like in-depth player scouting videos, uh, already getting into 2022 i released you know chet holgram's uh preseason scouting video there at the hardwood herald on youtube um so subscribe to that i you know i I plan on writing more and i know you you hinted at we might be working together more um but i wrote an article on davion mitchell uh on my substack which is just corytullaba.substack.com uh you know you can check out the magazine you'll find the link there on 
on the Twitter. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgotten, forgetting something. Definitely subscribe to the Draft Act podcast, uh, available everywhere. Podcasts are, uh, are available. You came on recently, so that's a fun episode to check out for sure. And uh, I think that's it. Albert, you just made a new social media account. Is this the first time you're talking about it on a podcast? Do I get the yeah. honor? Man, you do get the honor. This is something <laughs> that I've been working on for a long time. I actually had to go ahead and like get some of my buddies who like work in advertising professionally. Like my shouts to my 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 boy Josh Spice who worked for the Clippers for a little bit, uh, worked for Kia, Mitsubishi, but he's big on advertising, and he helped me finally land on the name Garbage Time Gim. Um, so that's where you'll find me on Twitter. It's at gtg nba um it's my new handle i have like 10 followers and it's all like draft guys um but you know trying to develop the new name uh, if you guys don't know i actually work in trash and sustainability here in, in los angeles and um i like the inappropriate jokes on our pod so you know my <laughs> friends were like hey it works on a couple of levels why don't you try it out and i think it works so i i'm, I'm i put myself out there i got a new name new persona trying to make it work. So uh, for all the listeners out there, give me a follow at GTGNBA on Twitter, or you could just go to my uh, original account at Alberto Gim, but it's, it's the boring one. So follow GTGNBA. There's more stuff coming. I'm trying to develop like more stuff and, you know, we're, we're Corey and us and everyone, we're developing something and we got something cooking in the lab. So I'm excited to be a part of that too. And uh, yeah, be on the lookout for all the stuff. And of course, as Corey mentioned, check out the draft tag NBA pod. We've got a lot of stuff coming in the new year, so uh, come ride with us. That next um, next pod that I have you guys on, Albert, I'm not introducing you as Albert. I'm introducing you as Garbage Time Kim because that is that is fantastic. So that that is what I will introduce you on from from here on out. I hope you're ready for it. But to my audience, thank you so much for for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed already. Make sure you are Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, it's there. Follow us on Twitter, at DraftDeeper. We're always talking about basketball, even when it's the offseason, even when we should all probably take a little bit of a breather from basketball in some form or fashion. I know that I wasn't pumping out as many episodes of the podcast, but I was still on Twitter talking with all of you guys because I love it so much. I love having the discourse, getting better at learning the game of basketball. And that's what this platform's for. So thank you all so much for those who have followed me. Make sure to follow me over there if you haven't already. We have a few more draft grades pods coming. And then we will move into a new project before we hit October. And we really start breaking into 2022 scouting. These guys, if you haven't heard one of their latest podcasts with Tyler Rucker, Mr. Backcourt Violation, I know that he advertised it on my last podcast, go listen to their podcast. They did a really fun introductory course since they called their, their, their summer league series, summer school, Corey. So I guess I can say it was an introductory course yes. into 2022. Yeah. Awesome podcast. Please go check that out for them and stay tuned to our feed. We'll put more content for you guys over the coming weeks. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Mm -hmm.